Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 12, 3 till 22. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of, of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that, might, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, it's really, uh, really good to be with you guys. Um, I'm going to start off by saying something. Um, That's how I'm going to end as well. Uh, by saying that um, the gathered church, when we come together as one, uh, there's something spectacular about it. Um, it it's a powerful thing when we, when we do scatter uh, throughout our city, when we go back into our, our homes, into our neighborhoods, um, to be like witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. Um, but when we gather together as one, there's something incredibly special about that. Uh, I'm going to unpack that really for the rest of my sermon. Um, some of you have like bounced in here and sung every word of those with a full heart. Um, some of you have kind of clawed your way in um, and could maybe sing like a word here and there. And um, that's how I am this morning. Uh, could just, just sing a, a word here and there. Um, and some of you might be somewhere in the middle. Um, but know that today, uh, what the Lord has to say is for you. Um, there's, I don't really have like words that are wise or eloquent enough to, to reach in and touch your heart, but the Lord does. He, his spirit has the power to, to uh, kind of take the veil off of your heart and your eyes to see. So um, I've been praying for days that that's going to happen. This is my, my first Sunday back. I was off for two weeks. Um, it was really good to be off. Uh, Rachel and Joe have graciously kind of looked after our leaders and made sure we had rest and break. They have a little chalet up in Donegal that we got to go spend a week in, and it's just what our family needed, uh, just to uh, play and walk the rainy beaches and spent a lot of time in prayer and just looking out the window. Um, it was, uh, thanks, really needed, needed that. Um, also, uh, Lucas and Sue are there right now, 
Um, it's their turn to walk beaches and pray. Um, so we'll just be praying for them that they just have a great time. Um, Lucas and I met um, a couple weeks ago to, to figure out what we wanted to do with last week and this week because we finished our series in Ecclesiastes. Um, and then next week, we're going to start a new series. It's only going to be about five weeks where we're going to look again at our kind of core values that we have as a community. Um, these, these, these kind of, uh, kind, of, kind of like our DNA of, of how we operate. A lot of you will know them maybe off of your, you know, by heart. Some of you may not. If you've been around for a little while, they won't be, there, there will be no surprises because it's just how we operate. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing that, especially as we kind of creep our way forward week um, after week closer to planting our second congregation over in South Belfast um, of what, what it looks like to, to be village. Um, so we got together and we're like, okay, what do we want to do with these middle two weeks? And sometimes the Lord in his sovereignty just like puts you on the same page and that's where we were. He started talking and then I was like, this is exactly what I've been uh, thinking and praying over the last two weeks of being off. And it was both around this, um, this word presence, the, the presence of God. Um, so last week, Lucas talked about abiding in his presence, abiding in his love. Um, he had some really practical ways to do that. Um, um, and this week, um, I'm going to be talking about what it means to be a people of God's presence. Um, this is something that I've, th- I've really kind of focused in on the last two weeks of being off. So it's kind of perfect that this is um, where we're, what we're going to talk about as well. Um, but it's also something that I've uh, kind of craved, um, this abiding in his presence since I was a teenager. Um, there's... there's I read quite a few books in, in my job, but there's two books that, you know those books that you read over and over again? And I have two books that I, that I kind of go back to. Um, one is this book. I, can, I don't know if you can tell if I read it a lot. Um, it's uh, the autobiography of George Mueller. Um, George Mueller was known for his dependence on the Holy Spirit to fulfill his every need. Um, small, tiny ways, and really big ways, continually in his presence, praying, waiting, uh, just linked in with him. You read this, and you're like, I want that. Um, Another one is by uh, Brother Lawrence. It's uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, Another, uh, not a leader, not a leader of a church, um, just a man who, who knew the love of Jesus and what it means to, to be in his presence. Um, I want to read you just a little tiny snippet of what his relationship with God was like. Uh, he says, I consider myself the most wretched man, full of sores and corruption, and who has committed all sorts of crimes against the king. Uh, touched with a sensible regret, I confess to him all my w- wickedness. I ask for forgiveness. I abandon myself in his hands that he may do what he pleases with me. And this is my favorite part. He says, The king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, he embraces me with love, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and a thousand ways, treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is, thus I, it is thus I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. Like, 
I want that. I want to feel like I'm, I'm God's favorite. I'm, I'm his, like, the favorite one. Um, this deep, intimate, personal relationship that um, these, these people had with the Lord. So I want to kind of unpack a little bit of that, a little bit of what it means to be a people for the presence of God. There's one verse that I think is very important to understand what it means to be in his presence. Um, and it's a, a verse that maybe all of you will be familiar with, and it's Romans 3.23. So Romans 3.23, which most of you can quote off your head, is, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we, we, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners that fall short of God's glory. Um, I think to properly understand this verse, um, we need to... Um, go back to the beginning of the, of the story of the Bible and kind of make our way through. So that's what I want to do. I want to just give you this kind of brief, pretty imperfect overview of what it means to be in his presence. Let's pray again, please. Father, uh, we need your help. Uh, we are here, gathered together, your children, and we ask that you'd speak to us. Um, I just want to confess that I stand here um, not having the strength, not having the words, not having the, the wisdom, uh, except what you give me. Um, so we do ask that um, you'd pour out your spirit again, that you would um, touch our hearts, that you'd teach us, that you'd use um, me in that. You're good. Uh, we love you. Pray these things in your name. So, back up, uh, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God says, let us, uh, he gets to the sixth day of his creation, and he says, let us create man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over everything that, that uh, has been created. So he wants us to be caretakers over this magnificent creation he's just, he's just made. Um, says, so God created man in his image, in his image, uh, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and it, it says that he blessed them. Um, he, he, uh, um, he, he gave them this commandment to, to be fruitful and to multiply, to have dominion, um, and he got to the end of that day, and he looked back on what he did on that day, and he delighted in it. He said it was very good. So he, he, he created them in his likeness to know him, to enjoy him, to be his children, to, to, and, and this is how they walked. This is what they did. They, they walked in his presence. They, they heard his voice. They experienced what it was like to be in his glory. But obviously, as you keep reading the story, it doesn't take very long at all where we see uh, that they sin, okay? And they disobey God's command of, of not eating the fruit of that one tree, and, and sin enters the world. And when they sinned, with, with the fall came banishment from the presence of God. They, so they were, they were cast out of Eden, uh, cast away from the tree of life, away from the presence of the Lord. And from then on, human race has been in exile from the presence of their maker, which is, which is where they were meant to be, okay? And I think that's something that we all feel. This is what the, the writer of Hebrews means when he says, this is not our home. Um, he says, you were created in the image of God, you were created to be in fellowship with God, your creator. 
Um, and the, the wonder of Adam and Eve being in the garden, being in, in close proximity to God, walking with him, talking with him, fellowship, fellowshipping with him, that's, that, that's the original intent for, for us, for men and, and, and women. The, the human race is, is, is meant to be in fellowship with the creator, but because of sin, we've been banished. We're away from the exile. We're away, we are in exile, away from the presence of God. And I've always thought of this just right away as, as kind of punishment, as, as you've sinned, you've, you're, you're, you're away, which I think it is, but there's, there's, isn't there also a bit of um, blessing, a bit of grace in this as well, that um, the Lord says, remember he's this white, hot, holy God. He, he's called a consuming fire that sin cannot be in his presence. So he says, I'm going to have to send you away, away from my presence. All have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. But thankfully, uh, God's always had a plan to, to bring about redemption, to bring his people back into his presence. And he began with Abram. He, he, he came to, to Abraham and he says, you're going to be my friend. And, and it, through you, through your family, um, I'm going to bless all the families on earth. So we, we, this kind of program of, of reconciliation uh, came into place when he made those promises to Abraham. Um, and moving along, you, you, you get the people taken down to Egypt. And when they come out of Egypt, the, the exodus, they, they come out as a people for God's presence. Um, remember, it began with, with Moses and the burning bush, God drawing extremely close, God revealing his name to Moses. Um, as one scholar says that um, when Moses uh, says, who shall I say is sending me, that the rest of the book of Exodus is, is an explanation of that. It's God re- uh, manifesting who he is, revealing who he, who he is to his people. And he comes not just as a burning bush for Moses, but the whole mountain shakes in, in, in uh, power and glory and lightning and thunder. It's covered in smoke and fire. And they heard the voice of God that grew louder and louder as a trumpet. Um, I was talking to Andrew about this before, that there's t- two million people at that time heard the voice of God. Isn't that incredible? Committing himself to them, uh, that they were going to be his people. Um, he said to Moses that they would be his treasured possession, he, he, that he chose them to be a royal priesthood. So Israel is to be a, a priesthood, uh, and we learned that the priest's job is to stand out for God. So um, they had this really special, uh, peculiar job. Uh, they had blood on their ears, on their thumbs, and their toes. And, and they, were, they were set apart to represent God to the people and the people to God. And then God says that you as a whole nation are to be a royal priesthood. That this nation was to be a, a priesthood for all of the rest of the nations. So that God is, is beginning to, to, to manifest his presence once again to his people. Um, at, here at Mount Sinai, it's, it's really a picture of a wedding. Um, the Lord is committing himself to his people, drawing them close again to his glory. And of course, it's really frustrating to read through the Old Testament because um, Israel is the, the unfaithful bride. So the Lord continually draws them near and then they, they turn away from him and, and, and flee. And then he draws them near again and then he, they turn away and flee the cycle and after this wedding between the Lord and his people, just like Adam and Eve, it doesn't take them long to turn away from the Lord. 
And, and because of their unfaithfulness, because of their, their, their backsliding, this led to the danger that the Lord would not go with them. So he tells Moses that he's going to send them on their journey to the promised land, but he won't be going with them lest they be consumed by his holy presence. Um, and in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, Moses says this to the Lord. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? He says it's, it's you being with us. It's, it's when your presence goes with us that makes us distinct, that makes us unique on this earth. The presence of God is what made them unique. And you can argue that there's a lot of different things that made them unique. It's like they were given the law, they were given the, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, really unique words, really unique um, promises, covenant promises, and, and uh, unique rituals. But Moses says, above all these things, it's your presence that makes us set apart. I want us to bear that in mind as we consider for ourselves what it means to be people for God's presence. Why this is so important, why, why we spend so much time um, putting so much emphasis on dwelling in his presence, on abiding in his presence. And Terry Virgo, he gives these kind of three, I think they're very helpful aspects, kind of three uh, ways that God's presence is revealed here in the Old Testament. Uh, firstly, God's presence is revealed in power. So just read that story of the Exodus of God bringing his people out of, out of slavery, and you'll see the power of God's presence. God shows his power over people, and he, he, he uses Pharaoh. He rises them up to, to demonstrate uh, his own power. He raises up um, even the mighty armies of Pharaoh um, to come to nothing against his power. Um, all through scriptures, you see that even creation has to obey um, so he, his presence just splits the sea for them to walk through. And um, through, the, through the plagues, you see his power over every false god. Um, god could just make the sun go black. He could, he could just make the, the river turn to blood. He could make uh, the priests have boils all over them. All sorts of demonstrations that God is bigger than any human god. And um, as the story of Israel continues, uh, those first few chapters of Joshua... And when he's leading the people into Canaan, they are just powerful. Their army um, is, is so mighty. Jericho just falling because they're, they're following God's command of walking around it. Battle after battle, like nothing. And it's only because God is present with them. Presence represents power. Presence also represents revelation. You see this in the prophets. You say that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's given me revelation. This, Thus saith the Lord. Um, I'm seeing things. I'm getting revelation. I'm, I'm understanding things. These, these men who could say his words are on my tongue. The presence of, of God brings comprehension of who God is. God himself making himself known. His presence uh, reveals power, revelation. And thirdly, his, his presence speaks of, of the glory of God, of, of his majesty, of his excellence, of his beauty. 
Uh, you find this particularly in the, the building of the ark, uh, in the, the coming of, of God on Mount Sinai. So the psalmist says that, that on, he came on Sinai and then he came and these, he gives these majestic words of Zion because Zion is where the temple is. Zion is where the ark has come. Zion is where God is pleased to make his dwelling place. Um, read Psalm 48 sometimes. Zion is regarded as, as the joy of the whole earth. Um, read the Psalms and just listen to how, how David speaks about the presence of God in nearly every one of his Psalms. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. He says, my soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh they sing, they cry out for you, the living God. He says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing praise. He says, just a day in your courts, one single day is better than a thousand elsewhere. I love this one. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He says, let me just, let me just hold the door open to your courts, Lord. That's all I want. I'll be the guy that holds the door open. David is, is obsessed with being in the courts and the presence of God. He wants nothing more in his life than to be close to him, to, to just to, to, to behold the beauty of the glory of the Lord, just to, just to taste and see. I found these three helpful categories to, to have in our minds as we think about God's presence. In the Old Testament, there's something about his power, about um, the revelation of who he is, and something about the glory of God. All sin and falls short of the glory of God. So to be in his presence, to be restored back into his presence, is to be restored back to his glory. Does that make sense, this kind of Old Testament concept of his presence? And then you get to um, these incredible prophecies in Isaiah and Joel that talk about his spirit being poured out. Look at Joel 2.28. Joel 2.28 says, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll pour out my presence, my being with you on all flesh. You need to realize just how radical this verse is. Just how different it is to the rest of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, his presence is a special place. Okay, it's a particular location. It has a lot to do with ritual, with cleansing. There's, there's a way of approaching God in a very limit, limited location. Okay, there's, there's one city. There's one temple. Okay, don't you dare bring your sacrifices in a different place. This is the place. This is the mountain that God has chosen. His presence is very, very particular in the Old Testament. But then comes this promise of this widespread outpouring of his presence on all flesh. This is completely upside down to how the, the rest of the Old Testament teaches people to think about God's presence. You get a sense that something radically new is coming. Then we get into the New Testament. Um, and John the Baptist introduces Jesus in this way. And remember what he said. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says, he will plunge you into the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? He says, there's going there's, to there's come such an outpouring of the presence of God. And this is, this is how Jesus is, is introduced in, in every single gospel, in all four of them. So remember, not all four gospels are the same. They don't all cover the exact same things. And so when they do cover the same thing, it's kind of important to, to okay, let's, let's look at this. Let's, let, this is really important. Because all four of them say that, that Jesus is the one who is going to bring God's presence in a new way. He's going to bring the presence of God to the people. He's going to, to open up the way. And it ends with the curtain being torn in two in the temple. Doing away with this old way of entering into God's presence and ushering in a new way. Jesus comes to usher in the next phase of, God's, of, of bringing God's glory. In Matthew 9, uh, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. They, they bring the man to Jesus and he says, your sins are forgiven. And, and the religious people around him say, um, who does this man think he is? Your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. And obviously they think that Jesus is a blasphemer. Um, but they're also taken aback that Jesus thinks that sins can just be forgiven here and now, right there. Like you want your sins forgiven, you come to the temple. Okay, that's where, you're, where forgiveness for your sins is found. That's where the presence of God is. Okay, he can forgive you there if you'd like. We'll help you out with that. We'll change your money. But here's Jesus out on the streets saying your sins are forgiven. You see just how, how big of an, an outrage this is. He goes on, he says that, uh, that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And he says to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. Jesus is saying forgiveness is now found right here in the streets. Okay? Right here in the dirty streets. Right here, right now, I'll forgive you. He's making God accessible. And when they come up to Jerusalem... In Mark 13, um, and his disciples, his, his disciples say, look at the temple. Look, look, look at the, the stones. Look how it's glorious. It's a, it's a wonderful building. And Jesus turns to them and he says, listen to me. You see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another that won't be thrown down. This place will be rubble someday soon. This is... This is radical. This is, this is the temple he's talking about. This is, this is where, where God dwells. And in John 4, when Jesus meets the, uh, the Samaritan, man at, uh, Samaritan woman at the well, they're having their famous conversation, uh, and she tries to, show, uh, to um, kind of throw some religious clouds um, over their talk. And she asks him, well, should we worship in this city or in that city? Should we worship on this mountain or, or in Jerusalem, on the mountain Jerusalem? And remember, in the Old Testament, the answer would be very clear. It has to be Jerusalem, okay? You have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's the particular place. But Jesus says, listen, there's a time coming. It's here now when you won't have to worship in that city or this city. 
God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He's ushering in something radically new. Jesus is, is already breaking down the barriers between, God, between the people and God's presence just here in his ministry. We haven't even gotten to the cross yet. And uh, during his last few hours with the apostles, um, read John chapter 14, 15, and 16 this week. Everybody read it. Um, because he begins to prepare his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit who would replace him being there. He says, the comforter, the holy presence of God will come to you, will be poured out. You're going to be a people who live with God now. You are going to be in his presence always in a way that has never been known before. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you, to dwell with you. You'll be not left as orphans. God will be with you. He's saying, no longer do you need to repeatedly cleanse yourself. No more rituals, no more sacrifices, no more lambs. He says, I'm the lamb. I'm the sacrifice. It's done. My blood is going to cover all of your sins. Past, present, future. He says, now I'm sending you my spirit, and because of that, you will always be in my presence. Isn't this incredible? He says, the Spirit's going to comfort you. He's going to teach you. He's going to give you a peace and a joy that's from me, and you won't even be able to describe it. Jesus says, you're a people of God's presence now. And he doesn't say that's going to make things easy. He doesn't say it's smooth sailing from here on out. He says it's still going to be a fight. So even in the middle of John 15, after saying these wonderful things, he says, the world is probably going to hate you because of this. But don't worry. Don't be afraid. He said, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. They're going to kick you out. Some of you might be killed, but I'm with you. And if there's anything we've learned from the people in Israel, um, roaming around the desert, going in the land of Canaan, is that there's no better place to be than in the presence of God. Do you see how wonderful the position we are in is? And I, I, I hope that brief, uh, quick overview of God's presence is, is helpful because what I want you to see is because, because of the fall, how restrictive the presence of the Lord had to be. And then we follow God's great plan, and because of Jesus, how he opens that up, not only to individuals who can now experience his presence personally, but more, more importantly, the point is a gathered people, the gathered church, the people of God gathered in his presence. Let's read Ephesians 2 again. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and, the stra- and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's terrible. <laughs> but now, love that big but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made both. He's talking about the Jews and the, and the Greeks and the Gentiles. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, how again? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That should make your heart nearly explode. You've been exiled. You cannot be in the presence of God. But through Jesus, you now have access to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer banished. You're no longer exiled from his presence. No, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Everything's built on him in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, listen to this, in him you have been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see how breathtaking the church's calling is? The human race has been exiled from his presence. And now, through God, through God, through Christ, he's bringing, he's making those who are in him, and he's building them into a new temple. Okay? Not, not, of, not of, no longer of stones in a particular location, rather living stones gathered in all locations. And they are a place for his dwelling, a place for the presence of God. We need to, to treasure the wonder of the gathered local church. We, we need to, to see it with the same delight as those psalmists. Uh, read Psalm 120 to 134 sometime, these songs of ascent. And listen to how some of these, uh, these songwriters l- talk about the presence of God. They, these, were, these were songs that they would sing as they literally ascended the hill, on, as they made their way to the temple, to the house of God, to worship. Okay? We're going to meet him. We're going to Zion. This is a breathtaking privilege. Do you see this gathering as that? This breathtaking privilege, we're going to meet with God. Or is this just another thing that you kind of check off your list, things to do this week? Um, listen, it's, it's okay. It's really good. You should want that intimate, personal, George Mueller, Brother Lawrence relationship with God. I've prayed that for, for years. I'm still looking, I'm still tasting it, and, and, and that's my goal. Because he is in you. You are in him. We have this kind of individual, uh, personal intimacy with him. 
We are kind of individual, lively stones. But it's when we are built together as a house in the Spirit that this phenomenon of being in the presence of the Lord as as a gathered people is our highest privilege. It's when his presence is, is most manifested when his people gather together. And we need to love the church. We need to, to cherish gathering with the people of God. Because those words in the Old Testament that were once restrictive, they're now for us. So Peter says in First Peter, uses the same words that were given to Moses, that you are a treasured possession. You're a chosen race, a people for my treasured possession, a royal priesthood. He says those things to us now. Isn't this incredible? When God says those things to his old people, to, his, to the people in the Old Testament, you are unique, you are special, you are mine. He says that to his church now. We should come with this anticipation that God will manifest his presence when we gather. Here, right now, do you delight in the church gathered? To delight in the church gathered is to delight in being in the presence of the Lord. And I've, something I've, I've been taught over the last few years is that as I I'm, I'm really want this to happen, that constantly being in the presence of God, constantly praying, um, that never, it never fully... There's, there's something that's lacking because it's the church gathered. It's those two, I don't want to pit the two to get against one another, but they are so important. Um, listen, we're growing really quickly here. Things are, are happening faster than sometimes we know how to keep up. And we're evolving. We're about to plant our second congregation. But the one thing that we never want to lose is the wonder and the joy that God is with us. That he's present. That he delights in gathering with his people. What a privilege that is. Um, I just want to close with... um, telling you one more thing that makes, that distinguishes God's people. Um, in Genesis 4, at the end of that verse, in, in, in chapter and verse 26, um, Adam, Adam and Eve have their, their third uh, son, Seth. So Cain and Abel, that debacle, and the Lord gives them Seth. I love, I love this verse because it's through Seth's family line that you eventually get to Jesus um, and verse 26 says, to Seth, also was born, uh, to, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's a very special moment in history. So God's presence is what distinguishes his people from the, on, on the earth. It's what sets them apart. Um, But we also see that all throughout scriptures that his people are a people that cry out to him. We also see that all throughout scriptures that he's a God who listens and responds to those cries. I do a word study sometime on uh, calling upon the Lord. 
in the Bible, there's dozens and dozens of passages and they just stir your heart. And this is how the church was born. And so Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends to heaven in Acts 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. When I pour out my spirit, when I pour out my permanent presence upon you, and he says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will be my people. You will be my possession, my spouse, my bride, my church. And this is how the church was born. He ascended, they went, and they gathered together, and they cried out, they prayed, and they waited. All through Scripture, you see God's people are people who, who cry out to him, and he responds. So Isaiah 58, 9 says, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer to you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Psalm 91.15, When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Psalm 85.5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Here's my favorite one. This has been my verse this week. Lamentations 3.55. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. And you said, do not fear. I want us to end by doing this, by being a people gathered in his presence. And we're gonna cry out to the Lord. And just this week, it feels like we've entered into a bit of a storm um, in our church. It seems like um, nearly every day this week, there's this bomb that has been dropped into some of the different lives of the people in our church. Not everyone will know about all of them, and, but various trials are all starting to happen at once throughout our community. Um, there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering happening in our church, and we have families that are apart from each other right now. Um, we have a dear sister in the hospital right now. We have sickness in our midst. And Lucas asked me to fill everyone in on what's been happening with his throat. And most of you are aware that um, his throat's been giving him a little bit of trouble. Um, it's been inflamed and kind of gradually has gotten worse as the past few weeks. Um, he saw a doctor this past Wednesday and the news wasn't great. Um, the doctor thinks it's probably cancer. Um, it's, if it's what he thinks it is, it's a newer kind of cancer that's developed over the kind of past 15 or 20 years that seems to be more kind of viral, viral related than um, kind of lifestyle related. And the doctor thinks the prognos prognosis is good, that's very treatable. Um, but obviously there's a bit of unknown there that um, until they get in and, and see what's happened. 
Um, he, he's, he's scheduled for a pre-surgery assessment this Thursday. Um, I assume his surgery then will be to remove some stuff on Friday. Um, and then the following Wednesday, they'll be doing some scans and biopsy um, on his neck as well. Um, they're doing great. Um, they're probably on the beach right now, walking and praying. Um, if you want to see people who trust God in times of suffering, watch these guys. Watch them. I've seen it before. He's going to do it again. And there's a couple things Lucas would want you to know. He hasn't told me these things, but I know him. And firstly, don't be afraid. We are people of God's presence. He is with us. He says in Isaiah 41, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If he says that, we can trust him. Don't be afraid. Uh, Secondly, he'd want you to know that he's not the only one that needs help right now. He's not the only one that needs prayer. Um, I just know of three massive things that are happening in our family right now. Um, And I know there are more. I know there are more of you who are suffering. There are more of you who have things in your life that feel like you're being crushed. And we're growing here. Amazing things are happening. The Lord is building his church. We're about to plant our second congregation. And listen to me, Satan hates it. He hates seeing the gospel spread. says he's, a, he's like a, a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. But remember what Jesus says in Matthew 16. He says, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Right. Remember, we are people of God's presence. We can trust him, that he is with us, that he hears our cries. So we're going to spend some time doing that, calling, crying out to the Lord. We have lots of things that we need to cry out for. And we're going to take 5, 10, 15 minutes, we'll see, um, and we're just going to cry out. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea, do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called upon you, and you said, do not fear. Let's enter this season of prayer. Um, I beg you to pray boldly. And we are no longer separated from the presence of the Lord. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer exiles. By the blood of Jesus, we've been made sons and daughters of God, of the Father. We can now uh, boldly go before the throne of grace and cry, Abba, Father. So pray boldly. And please don't worry about um, eloquence of saying the right words, of of having the exact right theology. He just wants to hear you cry out. Pray for more faith. And pray that um, amazing prayer of the saints. I believe, but help my unbelief. And you might need to get up and and pray with someone across the room. And you might need to to gather in groups. Whatever. Anything is fine. Your sons, daughters, your brothers and sisters, you have the freedom to relax in the presence of the Lord right now, in the presence of the Father. He's here to hear you cry with one another. Obviously, I ask you to pray for Lucas.
I'm gonna give you another couple names to pray for. Um, and pray for Alex Bartholomew. Pray for Karina Shaw and two sisters who desperately need the Lord to heal right now. And whoever's else in your heart, and let's cry out. Let's do that now.